our Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 14 is where we're going to be tonight. So 1 Samuel chapter 14, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1. 1 Samuel 14, 1 says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. I'm going to preach a message tonight titled, Jonathan, the Unappreciated Hero. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for all the many examples in your word, Lord God. You give us both uh, good examples and, Lord, bad examples, examples for us not to live by. Lord God, as we look at Jonathan tonight, what an example for us, Lord, as he shows uh, great fervor, Lord, And I pray that you would speak to us through him tonight. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can go ahead and be seated at this time. I've often said that Jonathan is one of the most unappreciated heroes in the Bible. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Matter of fact, we read that in 1 Samuel 14. And verse number 1, he was the son of Saul and You know, uh, maybe one of the reasons he's so unappreciated because those he was associated with are so well known. King Saul is infamous and his best friend David is very famous. Uh, uh, But uh, Jonathan was clearly the next person, and we can see this particularly here in 1 Samuel chapter 14. As the son of Saul, he was clearly the next person in line to take the throne. Jonathan had great leadership qualities. Was a, well, he was mighty on the battlefield. He was a servant to the people of Israel and was just an all-around perfect candidate for the throne. Due to his father's missteps, however, Jonathan would never get the opportunity to prove his worth as a king. We know he was a great prince, but because of his father's sin, he'd never become a great king. Saul's disobedience to God would be his undoing, and it would also be the undoing of his family. It would cost Jonathan the chance of ever sitting on the throne. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, just the previous chapter and verse number 13, the Bible says that Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment to the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. So the Bible tells us because of Saul's disobedience to God, that it would cost his family, it would cost particularly Jonathan, who clearly was next in line to take the throne. Samuel would go on and say, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Another reminder to us that sin's never personal, that sin has a ripple effect that uh, affects others, and particularly those closest to us. King Saul would knowingly 
I'm sorry, King Saul would unknowingly hire the young man that God intended to replace him. Furthermore, when no one else would fight the Philistine champion Goliath, this young man whom Saul had hired to play the harp for him would volunteer for the assignment. Saul would show... um, uh, Saul, in this instance, actually showed some good judgment. He would reluctantly give this uh, young man his blessing when he asked to go fight the giant... And, of course, the young harpist would show unbelievable skill in dispatching the giant and winning a great victory for Israel. As a matter of fact, it was so impressive. The Bible said that Saul asked, who is this, this young man? I want to know more about him. I know that I've hired him. I know that he plays the harp for me to help calm me down. But I want to know more about him. Who's, who's his dad? Who's his family? And Saul said, I want to take him home. I want him to become my son. Saul, who was thrilled with the prospect of having this young man on his court, soon became disillusioned with him when he heard the women singing about David's exploits. First Samuel chapter 18, verse number 6, says it came to pass as they came. When David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabarets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. I guess you could say the honeymoon ended really quickly in this relationship. The Bible says that the saying displeased Saul, and he said they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Of course, that is a story that we know very, very well. But this would put Jonathan in a very precarious position, a very awkward position, Because just prior to this, the Bible says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And so here you have Jonathan. Jonathan loves David and David has become Jonathan's best friend. But Jonathan is also the son of King Saul. And King Saul hates David. So Jonathan cared a lot, as I said, for David, the man who would take his place on the throne. Jonathan would accept his role as the future king's most trusted friend, would even protect David from his father, King Saul. In some ways, Jonathan is kind of an Old Testament picture of John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the Lord. John's disciples, remember, in the New Testament... John's disciples had become a bit concerned that Jesus was getting too much attention. The Bible says that Jesus was baptizing even more disciples than John the Baptist was. And so John's crowd came to him. His disciples came to him in John chapter 3, verse number 26. And they said unto him, Rabbi, that is John, they were addressing John as their teacher, And they said, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, that would have been Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. 
And so you can see their concern. You know, when John the Baptist burst on the scene, he was the only one like himself. And all men came to him. The Bible says they came from the cities and the villages to be baptized of John the Baptist. But then Jesus shows up on the scene and now his disciples says, you know, we're, uh, we're a little concerned, John, because all men go to Jesus now to be baptized. But John had the right answer in John chapter 3, verse number 28. John said this, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I am sent before him. And then John concluded, he must increase and I must decrease. He is the Christ. He is the King of Kings. I was just sent to prepare the way of the Lord. You know, in a way, Jonathan was kind of that for David. David was not the Lord, but David was the future king. Jonathan became aware of this, and Jonathan did everything he could to make sure that David would be the next king. Have you ever considered how uh, if if Jonathan was a man of pride, how impossible this would have been. This was Jonathan's throne. His dad was the king. It was, from an earthly standpoint, from a worldly standpoint, it was Jonathan's lot to become the next king. So Jonathan kind of faced a similar situation when his dad asked him, Why do you insist on protecting David? Don't you know as long as he's alive, you'll not be given the throne that is rightly yours? But Jonathan kind of had the same, uh, the same attitude as John the Baptist. David is God's anointed. He must increase and I must decrease. This was said, Saul said this to Jonathan, of course, to provoke Jonathan. But because Jonathan was such a good man... And Jonathan was a humble man and not a man of pride. It, it had the opposite effect. It did not provoke him. It just convinced him all the more, I've got to protect David. I've got to watch out for David. I want to tell you something. This man was a hero. This man was a man that you and I could emulate. Jonathan wanted God's will. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse number 17, this is the last time that Jonathan would ever see David and the last time that David would ever see Jonathan. And this was one of those times when King Saul was hunting David, trying to have David killed, and Saul was out there with him. I'm sorry, Jonathan was out there with him. But in the middle of the night, Jonathan got up and he snuck out. And he went and he met with David in the middle of the night. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 23, verse number 17. And incidentally, this is just further proof. Jonathan's a hero. He knows how to get a hold of David. But he doesn't tell his father. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 23, verse number 17. Jonathan said this to David. Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. Again, David would increase, and Jonathan would decrease. And that also Saul, my father, knoweth. Jonathan knew the throne was not his, and he willingly stepped aside so David could increase. 
And what a lesson this is for us when we come to know Christ as personal Savior. Do you know we're supposed to be more like Jonathan than we are to be like David? Because Jesus is the King of Kings, and you and I are to step aside, and we're supposed to say, not my will, but your will, Jesus. You sit on the throne. You be the king. Uh, I'll be next unto you. Whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever, wherever you want me to go, that's where I'm going to go. Every one of my decisions is going to be based on your will. Jonathan is a great example. As I said, he's an unappreciated hero in the Bible. God would have us to be more like Jonathan then he would have us to be like David. David's a type of Christ in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. Jonathan, I believe, is a type of us in the New Testament. And Jonathan knew David was to be the king. Jonathan was a great man. And in our text, the Bible records for us one of those instances in which Jonathan showed why the Bible is so favorable to him. So I want to take a quick look at Jonathan, the unappreciated hero. And why is he such a hero? Why do I call him that? Well, First Samuel chapter 14, and the first part of this chapter, gives us a good indication as to why Jonathan is a man that we ought to emulate. Number one, I want you to look at Jonathan's fortitude. Number one, look at his fortitude. Jonathan was resolved despite all the excuses. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, the Bible says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Jonathan was resolved. They were going to go over to the garrison of the Philistines. They were going to go and they were going to go wreak havoc. Uh, they, they were tired of the Philistines getting it over them. And, and so Jonathan says, you know what, we've got to do something. We can't just sit here. We can't just wait. We can't just react. We've got to do something. And so Jonathan was resolved. And I say that he was resolved, yet he had all kinds of excuses for not being resolved. He had all kinds of excuses for not having any fortitude at all. Consider all the excuses that Jonathan had. First of all, Jonathan came from a dysfunctional family. His dad was a nut. I mean, he really was. His dad had problems. His dad was a... uh, uh, His dad probably rarely knew what Jonathan was doing or what he was up to because he was kind of a detached dad. His dad was disconnected and became concerned only about himself. And this becomes very, very evident. Uh, The more scripture that you read and the longer that he's on the throne, man, he becomes very disconnected with disconnected with reality, disconnected with the things of God, and, and disconnected with his own family. His dad was not only disconnected, he was disturbed. This was a disturbed man. Scripture tells us that because of his actions, God took the Holy Spirit from him, and it was replaced by an evil spirit. First Samuel 16, verse number 14 says that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, 
and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. This is one of those instances where you ought to be glad you live in the New Testament. Because once you know Christ is your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and you cannot lose the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, sadly, we'll quench the Spirit, we'll not listen to the Spirit. The Spirit will convict us. The Spirit will make us miserable as we try to quench and as we try to disobey Him. Uh, but the, but uh, we don't lose the Holy Spirit like they did. Some people never had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Uh, men who did were able to achieve great things as you and I could achieve if we had the fortitude of Jonathan. Samson was a man who one day lost the lost the holy spirit and didn't even realize it well saul had the holy spirit taken from him and an evil spirit from the lord troubled him and you know there's all kinds of things in the bible that kind of reveals to us what kind of an evil spirit this was first of all i believe it was a paranoid spirit it was, a, it was a spirit that caused him to be paranoid. He was always looking around, his, always looking over his shoulder, always looking, kind of like your typical dictators today, always looking for the person that was going to overthrow him, uh, looking for the person that was going to kill him, looking for the person that wanted to harm him. This is why he went to the priests and had them all slaughtered, thinking that they had all forsaken him. He was paranoid he also i think today would have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder man he was up and he was down depending on the circumstances imagine having a dad like this his dad was disturbed his dad was disconnected his dad was depressed the thought of losing the kingdom was more than he could bear and it had been told him on two occasions, the kingdom is going to be ripped from your family. It's going to be given to another, a man after God's own heart. Boy, Saul's behavior became so destructive, not only to himself, but also to those around him. Remember I told you he was, he was extremely paranoid. He even threw a javelin at his own son to smite him. That son being Jonathan, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse number 32. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? Now this is one of the times where Jonathan's trying to intervene. Jonathan is trying to play the, the, the go-between, the mediator. Saul says, I want David killed. And, and, and Jonathan just asks a question. Why do you want him killed? What has he done? He kind of asked the same question that, that later the, the priest would ask. Hey, why do you want David killed? Why have you called him a traitor? He's done nothing but good for you, nothing but good to you. Jonathan simply asks a question, and he lays out the facts. But I want to tell you something. When someone is overcome with sin, they don't want to hear the facts. They don't want a discussion. They don't want to come reason together. Instead, they want to cancel you. Instead, they want to tell you, you have no business saying anything. Instead, they, uh, they, want, to, uh, they want to accuse you of misinformation. They want to 
take your comments down. They want to take your videos away. And we see this in Saul. Do you think maybe there's a little demonic action behind those who want to cancel Christianity and everything that, 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 that Christianity stands for? Well, the Bible says that Jonathan answered Saul's father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What has he done? I just want an answer. What has he done? You don't deserve an answer, Saul. Uh, Saul said, and he didn't say it with his mouth. He said it when he threw the javelin. And the Bible says to smite him. He wasn't throwing the javelin to scare him. He was trying to kill his own son. You know, I would say that when it comes to a dysfunctional family, Jonathan could say, I had one. But despite this, he's a man to be emulated. I know a lot of Christians who came from dysfunctional families who I look up to because they are people to be emulated. They are examples. They are faithful. They've showed fortitude. And I just look and I say, man, I had all the advantages of a, of a good family growing up, and, and, and I don't have the faith that you have And it's because of the grace of God. God is gracious. God is loving. God is wonderful. And God was that to Jonathan. God made Jonathan a man to be emulated despite the fact he came from this family. But he had all the excuses. He could have just said, well, you know, I can never be what God wants me to be because of the family that I grew up in. Absolutely false. And some of the best pastors. Good friend of mine, and, and you know him too. Pastor Reno. You ought to ask, his, ask him his testimony. Brother Reno, who, who pastors in Puyallup. He's spoken here. He's spoken at our men's retreats. Great preacher. Great pastor. Uh, a man that I look up to. A man that, uh, uh, that, that I respect. But... He did not grow up in a good family at all. As a matter of fact, another one was the pastor that I grew up under. Did not come from a, uh, from a traditional family, but uh, a family where um, we would consider not really um, exemplary. Hey, God uses anyone who wants to be used. We can't use excuses for not having fortitude. We can't have excuses for not going forward. But not only did he have a dysfunctional family, here's another excuse Jonathan had. He lacked the resources. He lacked the resources. Let's back up 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 13, and look at verse number 22. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 22. The Bible says, So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. Now, if you read the, uh, even prior into that chapter, you understand that they were victims of arms control, that the Philistines had come in and taken all their swords away, taken all their weapons away, taken all their munitions away, and then also took their ability to make arms, to make munitions. They had to go to the Philistines 
just so they could have their farm equipment sharpened. Talk about government control and government arms control. And yet that was the situation that they were in. They lacked the resources. They lacked the financing. And yet in spite, Jonathan shows great fortitude. Jonathan also was outnumbered. He was outnumbered. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 1, he says to his armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison. That's only two of them. Going into the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he told not his father. The Bible tells us uh, that uh, in verse number 6, Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by a few, meaning we are the few. There's only two of us. Jonathan had fortitude. He was resolved despite his environment. He was resolved despite his excuses. He's a man to be emulated because he was a man of fortitude. But the second reason I believe that Jonathan is an unappreciated hero, number two, is because he was also a man of faith. Not only was he a man of fortitude, he was a man of faith. Again, verse number six, he said, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So so he believed God was faithful. God's faithful. Though the Philistines had restrained them by disarming them, Jonathan believed in a God that had no restraints. He said, I understand we have no swords. I understand we have no weapons. I understand we have no resources. We don't have the finances. However, we've got God, and that's all that we need. And we need to believe that. We need to, we need to understand that. You know, Christians, God's people often find themselves without the resources, but somehow, some way, God always comes through every single time. Our God is not restrained by resources. He's not restrained by numbers. He's not restrained by politics. Oh, we can't do this anymore because the politics don't favor us. He's not restrained by the environment. He's not restrained by the economies. Our God still owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he's not going to lose them just because the market has fallen apart. Our God still has all the resources, and he's not going to lose them just because the price of gas goes above $6 a gallon. Uh, He is not restrained by anything that restrains us. And Jonathan knows this. He says, there is no restraint to the Lord. No king can outlaw God. No king. Matter of fact, Wednesday night we were talking about the, not only the reliability of the Bible, but, boy, the, the fact that the Bible has withstood every attack. It has withstood the, uh, the attack of uh, huge empires. The Roman Empire could not take the Bible out. Uh, other empires could not take the Bible out. Countries cannot take the Bible out. They have tried, 
but they can't because when it comes to our God, there's no restraints. And thank God for men like Jonathan who still, who still believe and still have faith in an old-fashioned, miracle-producing God. He believed that God was faithful. He also believed God does not need the odds in his favor. Again, verse number 6. Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Interestingly enough, oftentimes the Lord chooses to win by few. Using men like Gideon and his army of 300. Sometimes using one man like a man named Samson against an army of the Philistines. Uh, And in this case, two men and only one with a weapon, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Understanding this, and I believe Jonathan understood this, the, the odds are always in God's favor. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 15, the Bible says that the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth. Behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Jonathan's eyes were opened. By faith he saw the chariots of fire round about him and his armor bearer. And he said, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by a few. God just needs one. Actually, can I say this? God doesn't need any. But he asks for one. He asks for two. Or as many that will stand with him. Yes, he's a man to be emulated because of his fortitude. Jonathan is a hero because of his faith. But number three, I also want you to notice that Jonathan is a good man to emulate because of his friends. Because of his friends. You know, you can't choose your family. Jonathan couldn't choose his dad. But have you noticed... He had a pretty good knack for choosing friends. It goes without saying Jonathan knew how to pick good friends. He immediately, he was, uh, his soul was knit to David. He said, man, there's just something about David and I want to get close to him. Well, David was a man after God's own heart. I believe that's the reason that it wasn't because David killed the giant. It was because David was close to God. That's why he killed the giant. David was close to God. That's why Jonathan wanted to be close to him because Jonathan had a knack for picking good friends. Have you ever known someone whose ability to choose friends is a huge detriment to them? You think, man, he's such a nice guy. But every 
girlfriend he picks. Man, they, they are just, he has this way of picking terrible girlfriends. Or, or, or he always surrounds himself with bad people. Jonathan was not one of those guys. You know, you chose your armor bearer. And I guarantee you, an armor bearer was someone you had to be able to trust. Had to be someone you know was not going to run away in the, in the middle of the battle. Someone who was going to be there for you. They were kind of your caddy in battle. Okay, hand me the long sword. All right, I'm done with this one. Hand me the spear. All right, would you take the short, the dagger out of the bag now? Uh, kind of like a caddy. And he had to be there. And they often, they often gave, gave advice. But they were there in the middle of the battle. You had to trust them that they weren't going to run away. That they weren't going to turn on you. So there was a huge interview process that went on. Jonathan had a way of picking good friends. And I think that says a lot. Hey, it is not up to you and I to try to change everybody. It's up to you and I to serve God, to keep God first and foremost in our lives, and to surround ourselves with people who are going to encourage us to keep God first and foremost in our lives. Surround yourself with with good people. Jonathan chose to be friends with David, a godly man, and it says a lot that Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. Jonathan's armor bearer would be chosen by Jonathan, and what a person he chose. In verse number 6, Jonathan uh, brings this, uh, well, he brings a problem to his armor bearer, and then he, he brings him a plan. He says, let's do this. He says, let's go to the garrison of the Philistines. And this is why I want to go. Because the Lord will work for us. Because with the Lord, there's no restraints to say by many or by a few. And the armor bearer, his friend, his confidant, encouraged him in the things of the Lord. Your friends... Your potential mate ought to encourage you in the things of the Lord. Don't think you can change them if they're not already doing so. They ought to encourage you in the things of the Lord. And in verse number 7, the armor bearer's answer, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. In other words, that's a good plan. You can't go wrong following God. You can't go wrong being faithful. You can't go wrong having fortitude. He didn't try to discourage him. He didn't say, you're nuts, Jonathan. That's crazy. No, instead, he he told him, he says, I'm with you. You follow the Lord and I'm following you. Those are good friends to have. This is a friend who is also loyal. Consider that only Jonathan had a sword. The armor bearer was the armor bearer, but he didn't bear his own armor. Look at what the Bible says again in verse number 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 13. 
The Bible says, So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. So the armor bearer was carrying Jonathan's armor, not his own. He was carrying Jonathan's sword, not his own. He went in with Jonathan with nothing but his trust in the Lord. This was a loyal friend. I'm not leaving your side. Boy, and when you read the rest of it, it is amazing what they were able to do, amazing what they were able to accomplish. Here's what this armor bearer had to do. He had to trust that Jonathan was going to kill the first Philistine so he'd have a sword to take out of that Philistine's hand and then they could both continue the battle. But he had to trust his friend. This was a loyal friend. But if you are both trusting the Lord, Man, I can tell you as a pastor, I'm so thankful for men that have, that have followed us as we have followed the Lord in this church. Because you need to surround yourself with good people. Though Christianity will initially cause you to lose many friends. Christianity will initially even cause you to lose many family members. It will ultimately benefit you with great friends and great family members. Mark chapter 10, Jesus makes this promise. He says, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. My many people have lost their family because their family disenfranchised them. As soon as they accepted Christ as their Savior and started living for the Lord. Many Christians who have lost friends because their friends didn't want anything to do with a Jesus freak. Once you accepted Christ as Savior and began serving God, you soon learned that God replaces those family members. Now we still need to pray for those family members. We still need to be kind to them, show them love. We need to uh, uh, be an example to them. But you know this as well as I do, that the church becomes closer to you than a family ever could. Proverbs chapter eighteen twenty four says this, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. My many of you, your brothers and sisters, and, and Jesus attested to this. Your brothers and your sisters are right here in church. And they stick closer than the biological ones because we've got this one thing in common, and that is Jesus Christ and his blood that cleanses us of all unrighteousness and his spirit that allows us to have unity. Yes, Jonathan had fortitude. He had faith. He showed that his friends uh, were good and that uh, he had a good friend in this instance. But then Jonathan also showed fulfillment. But he didn't just start something. He finished it. It's one thing to talk big. Oh, yeah, we are going to. We're going to serve the Lord by golly. And a lot of people can do that until it actually comes time for the sacrifice. 
comes time to give. It comes time to work. It comes time, comes time to give of your time, to sacrifice, and maybe adjust your schedule a little bit. Boy, as a pastor, I can tell you I've heard many, many, yes, preacher, let's go for it, let's do it. But then when it comes, to act, comes time to actually do it, many fall off the bandwagon. But Jonathan, with Jonathan, there was a fulfillment. Jonathan said, let's do this thing. And then Jonathan did it. You know, it's one thing to say, yes, God can overcome the odds. He can save by many or by few. It's another thing to actually demonstrate it. The Bible tells us in verse number 11. I'm sorry, let's just continue reading verse number 8. Then said Jonathan, in 1 Samuel 14, verse number 8, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we'll discover ourselves unto them. We'll, let our, we'll, we'll allow ourselves to get caught. And if they say unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place, and we'll not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we'll go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. The Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews, come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me. For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer, telling us, notice that Jonathan went first, he had the sword. He had to kill the first Philistine so that his armor-bearer could have a sword. And then look at what it says. The Bible says that they slew after, that his armor bearer slew after him. So the Bible is very specific there. Verse number 14. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, an half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. This is an amazing scene. The Bible says they got caught on purpose. And that Jonathan had told the armor bearer, now this is what we're going to do. If they say, stay right where you are, we're not, we're not doing anything. But if they say, come, on to, uh, come to us, Jonathan I said, that's a sign. God's delivered them into our hands. And so when they were discovered, the Bible says that the Philistines said, come, up, come to us, we'll show you. We'll, in English language, we'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan said, yes, we got them right where we want them. <laughs> There's only 20 of them, and we've only got one sword. We got them right where we want them. And the Bible says that Jonathan said to his armor bearer, you stay right behind me. <laughs> and I'm sure his armor bearer said, you bet I will. Here's your sword. <laughs> the Bible says that Jonathan went, he killed the first one. Now the armor bearer has a sword. And in a... In the space of a half an acre, that's, that's where this battle took place. 
I mean, it's just like the movies. You see these guys and you think, ah, them against 20, impossible. Do you know, it really happened. They slaughtered 20 people in, in, and in the process, they covered an entire half acre of land. I guarantee you that half acre of land was filled with blood and it wasn't Jonathan's and it was not his armor bearer. This was an amazing thing. Like I said, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. Jonathan's relationship with God was such that he knew what God wanted. That's why he could say, if it happens like this, uh, the Lord's delivered them into our hands. Because he had such a relationship. Jonathan and his armor bearer also played offense. They didn't play defense. They played offense. Too often Christians and churches are playing defense, reacting to what the world does, and often compromising accordingly, which is why many churches you go into, they look just like the world because they're reacting. It's called playing defense. No, God wants us to play offense. The church's role is to play offense. We are to go after lost souls. Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's offense, not defense. We are to go up against the gates of hell. And the gates of hell cannot stand against the local New Testament church. But too many times we're playing defense. Also, I want you to notice that Jonathan and his armor bearer They changed the environment in which they were in. Notice the Bible says in verse number 14, the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, and half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. Hey, aren't you getting tired of churches changing the environment to look like the world? When it's supposed to be the churches changing the environment so that people look more like God. See, too many have shortened the sermons if they still have them. They've casualized the services, no longer holy and respectful, but worldly and casual. They respect acceptance in large crowds rather than fear God's approval. Jonathan didn't change a thing, but instead changed all those around him. And the Bible says that they feared and they trembled and they melted away. The change was observable. The change was obvious. You know, an underappreciated hero is much better than a well-known pretender. And there's a lot of well-known pretenders out there. But Jonathan said, you know, I'm just, I, I, I am just, I'm just happy to be in God's army Even if I'm not the one who gets to sit on the throne, I'm not the one who gets to have all the credit and all the glory, 
I would just rather get the victories and just do it quietly and just be on God's side. An underappreciated hero is much better than a well-known pretender. There's a lot of well-known pretenders out there. Jonathan accepted his role with grace, and as a result, he experienced great victories in his life. Nothing, however, that can compare to the glory he's received in the presence of God over the last 3,000 years. And he will continue to receive that glory in the presence of God. Because he took a step back in his short life here on this earth. By the way, this life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Better to take a step back here so you can stand tall in glory than to stand tall here and maybe not even take a step in glory. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed, with every eye closed.